Welcome. You're listening to Sanseet, where you'll find everything to do with spirituality, life lessons, holistic living, and medicine to become your true self. We all have stories, journeys, experiences, and love. Here's your host, Erin O'Dowd. Hello and welcome. My name is Aaron O'Dowd and you're listening to Sanseet. On today's show, we have Vaishali. She is an author of You Are What You Love, Wisdom Rising, Wisdom Rising 2, and Wisdom Rising, The Companion Book. She has a radio show on Contact Talk Radio, which is called You Are What You Love. And her website is www.purplev.com. That's purple v p u r p l e v dot com. Hello, Vaishali, and welcome to the show. Hi, Erin. It's always fun to play with you, darling. <laughs> and how are you today? I am outrageously blessed today. But I live in paradise, so that kind of comes with the territory. Describe to us about how you got into holistic living or spirituality, or, or what brought you into it. You know, there's a popular saying in America that necessity is the mother of invention. And um, I think that's why our life has twists and turns and challenges to it, because it forces us to create a different response to life. It forces us to require something more of ourselves. And um, my dealing with health issues and um, understanding the spiritual purpose of why we're here kind of overlapped and coincided. And there was a time in my life when I was having a lot of health problems and I was diagnosed as terminal with internal organ complications from unknown causes. That's what the doctors wrote in the surgical report after I had exploratory surgery trying to figure out what was wrong. And they said that, you know, every organ from my stomach to my rectum was swollen and inflamed and in crisis. The report was that the doctor thought that I was going to die from my small intestines or my liver shutting down, but they didn't know which one was going to happen first and they didn't know why. And while I was dealing with all this gut-wrenching agony, because when your organs are dying inside of you, it's very painful. I was also um, always fascinated by philosophy, especially spiritual philosophy or religious philosophy. And um, I had come across uh, a friend had given me some cassette tapes that had... um, been put together by a professor of philosophy at Sonoma State University. Uh, Michael Coleman had put together this tape series called Secrets of the Masters. And it had a lot of different civilized culture forming moments in history in the, in the Secrets of the Master. It was a collection of uh, historical significance about how we have kind of evolved and people along the way that have been of particular importance. And some of the tapes 
had labels that I recognized. There was one about Freud. I know who Freud was. I understood his significance in charting the conscious and the unconscious mind. One was about existentialism. And I understood existentialism and that it comes down to each of us choosing in a moment-to-moment basis what we're doing with our free will that creates our, our happiness or our unhappiness. And there was another tape in there that was um, about Plato and Socrates that was fascinating. But there was one tape that was labeled Swedenborg. And I didn't know what Swedenborg was. I'd never heard of Swedenborg before. I mean, it could have been a penicillin shot for all I know. I, I didn't know what it was. It could have been a kind of cheese. I, I didn't know. So I went to that one first. And it turned out to be, for me, the most interesting. And it was about, he was born in 1688, died in 1772. He was a Swedish mystic and a scientist and a metallurgist and a member of Sweden's parliament uh, and a great scientist. He's the one that figured out what the cerebellum and the pituitary gland is for. He's the one that figured out our lunar form of latitude and longitude. He is... um, the one that figured out what the cerebellum and the uh, endocrine system is for and how it operates. He first wrote about the relationship between respiration and the nervous system and respiration and the cerebral movement of cerebral spinal fluid. He wrote over three volumes on the human brain that were the most accurate for his era. So when I was dealing with my health issues, I came across Swedenborg and his work as a scientist and a mystic and he was a fascinating teacher. I'd never heard of Swedenborg before, and I found out that if I had been born even a hundred years ago, Swedenborg would have been like a household thing. It's just been in the last hundred years that he's kind of fallen off of our radar. But um, everybody that we consider relative in forming Western civilization was influenced and impressed by Emanuel Swedenborg, all of the founding fathers. Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, um, even the great um, existentialist founders like um, Thoreau and Emerson were hugely influenced by Emanuel Swedenborg, as was uh, D.T. Suzuki, who is the man that brought Zen Buddhism to the West. They all considered him to be very foundational forming in their thinking and their values and their understanding how things work. And when I was dealing with all these health issues and I came across Swedenborg, he basically distilled our life purpose down to having two primary elements to it as far as our shared life purpose. And what I mean by that is that there's a universal life purpose. There's a a reason that every single person is on this planet. Those reasons overlap for everybody. There's universal reasons why we're all here. Then underneath the universal reasons, there's a personal reason why you're here. You personally wanted to work on this or that or refine this or that. So there's, it's kind of like the definition of, of radio waves. The definition of radio waves is that they're universal and exclusive, meaning they're universal in that they continue to broadcast out into the universe forever, but they're exclusive in that they're exclusive to whatever the frequency of that radio station is. 
Maybe the radio station is 105.6 FM. I mean, it's universal and that once a broadcast, it keeps going, but it's exclusive to that frequency. And a life purpose is like that. It's universal and it's exclusive. There's a general life purpose that overlaps for everybody, and there's one that's exclusive just for you underneath that that you came to work on for you. And the universal ones for everybody are, are two-pronged. The first one is to remember who and what we are. And who and what we are is divine love and wisdom. You don't have it. You don't have divine love and wisdom. It's not a possession. It cannot be taken away, stolen, left, misplaced, then folded, stapled, mutilated. You don't have it. You are it. And you came here first and foremost to remember that, to identify with that, and to solve all of your problems from that place of truth. And the first problem that we come here to solve are what is my value, my power, my worth. Why am I here? What's the meaning and purpose of my life? What's the meaning and purpose of my relationship? And the first thing that you need to do when you come here is to remember the truth that you are divine love and wisdom. That's your value. That's your power. That's your worth. It's one of the main reasons that you're here is to remember it unconditionally no matter what life throws at you. And the purpose of life is to share the truth of that, to share the power of it, to share the worthiness of it, and to share more love and laughter and truth with people that you love and you care about. So without knowing who and what we are, we can't even begin to solve the bigger picture problems of why we're here. So Swedenborg talked about that there is a single point of origin for all of our suffering. There's a single point of origin for the suffering of everyone who has ever been on the, pl on the planet, everyone who is on the planet now, everyone who will be on the planet. This one thing we all have in common is that our suffering all starts at one single point of origin. And that is that we forget that we are divine love and wisdom. We forget. And we think we're something else. We think we're the person who is lonely, the person who is broke, the person who just got fired, the person who will not get a date on Saturday, the person who has health problems, the person who is unlovable, the person who never feels valued in their family. We have all these stories about who and what we are that we invest in, that we give our attention to, that we give our love to. And the first thing that we've come to do when we come to this planet is to stop doing that. And the second thing that we're here to do is to learn about this predominant law that governs everything in the physical world and the non-physical world. It is a law that governs everything, whether you're in, in heaven, and I'm defining heaven as a place or a state of being that is beyond limitation. It is a law that governs everything in hell. And I'm defining hell as a state or a place of being that is limited. And it, and it governs everything on the planet Earth and everything in the spaces in between. 
So whether you're dead, whether you're alive, whether you're in between, you are subject to this law. There is no time you will ever exist that you will not be subject to this law. And here's the law. The law is this. You are what you love. And you love whatever you give your attention to. You are what you love. Great. Okay, that narrows it down. I am what I love. I'm not what I eat. I'm not my bank account. I'm not my hair. I'm not my experiences. I'm not, I'm not what I think. I'm not what I date. So I'm what I love. Okay, great. What do I love? Whatever you're giving your attention to at any given moment. And why that is, the reason that that has spiritual gravity and makes spiritual sense is because Swedenborg goes on to explain that everything in the physical world is some truth, something from the spiritual world made dense enough that it has a physical form. Because nothing in the spiritual world is physical. It's not made of physical matter. It's not made of atoms and electrons and protons and neutrons. It's not made of molecular structure. Everything in the spiritual world is made up of what you love. So when you come to the physical world, everything that's here exists because there's a spiritual counterpart. And in the physical world, the way that our spirit shows up, if you're asking the question, well, how does my spirit, how does my soul, how does something from the spiritual world how does that show up in the three-dimensional world? How can I see my spirit in the three-dimensional world? And the answer is your attention, your consciousness. What are you doing with your mind? What are you doing with your focus? What are you doing with your will, your love, your volition? What are you choosing at any given moment? That's what you're doing with your love. That's what you love. It's what you're giving your attention to. I tell you, Erin, how many times I've had counseling sessions with people and I've been talking to them about the problem in your life is that you have a very deep, profound, passionate love affair with worry. You're in bed with worry all the time. You're married to worry. You serve worry. You are worshiping at the altar of worry. And that's what is causing all of your problems. And people will look at me and say, I don't love worry. I, I hate it. And I'll say, well, how much of your time do you give it your attention? And they'll say, oh, it gets 100% of my attention all the time. That's my point. When you give it your attention, you're giving it your love. You may not qualify it as giving your love because it's something that you want to separate from. But when you're giving it your attention in the spiritual world, you're giving it your love. That's how it equates. And when you give something your love, you're going to bring more of it into the whole of your life by virtue of your love for it. Because love is the only power in the universe that is wholeness-making. Whatever love touches, it makes whole again. Nothing else will do that. Grief won't do that. Suffering won't do that. Anger won't do that. Frustration won't do that. Only love will do that. So when you give something your love, you've given it permission to touch the whole of your life. Because love 
affects the whole of your life. There's no part of your life that love will not touch. And when you discovered these tapes on Emanuel Swedenborg, did it did it automatically create a spark in your head or describe the feeling of, of discovering this these tapes? You know the saying, Aaron, you know the saying the truth the truth shall set you free. You've heard that before, right? The truth shall set you free? Yes, I have. I tell you, that is so profound and so true that if you're giving your attention to something, you're thinking about something, you're contemplating something, you're giving something your attention, and and that action has not set you free, it is nature's way of saying you have not seen the truth of it. That was so profound. That was the beginning of the changing of everything. That's when the foundation of everything changed. When I understood that the reason that my life looked the way it does is because I was not solving my problem with recognizing that I am divine love and wisdom and exploring what does that mean. To say I know I'm divine love and wisdom, what does that mean? And there's an unending series of truths that that means that when you give them your attention, it sets you free. For example, saying I am divine love and wisdom means I do not have the ability to create a learning experience I do not need. Now, love is capable of unconditional things, unlimited things. But the one thing that God consciousness cannot do is create a learning experience of itself it did not need. That means that everything we're creating is exactly what we need when we need it. That means that you can stop second-guessing yourself. That means you can stop anguishing over, should I turn left, should I turn right, should I do this, should I do, do that? Because what if I make a mistake? What if I do this wrong? You can take all of that pressure off of yourself because whatever decision you make is exactly the one that you needed to take you down the road that you needed to learn the most. You cannot screw this up. What would it be worth to you to know that you never had to second guess yourself ever, ever again? It sets you free. The truth set me free. And my life radically changed. I got the ability to change the situation that caused all the health conditions and health conditions were caused by what I was giving my attention to. Surprise, surprise, surprise. Because you are what you love and you love whatever you give your attention to. That is the law that governs everything. And what I was giving my attention to was creating these problems. And what I was giving my attention to at the time was worry. I was probably the most professional worrier you will ever meet. I mean, I worried so much and so thoroughly and so completely that when I was in my mid-20s, my organs were ready to shut down because they could not process the amount of worry that I was giving my attention to. So when people come to me and they say that they can't give up their worry, I just laugh in their face and say, look, if I could give it up, you can give it up. If I can change what I give my attention to, and I can choose to love something different, you can too. Because if you're not about to die from worry, if a doctor hasn't handed you a terminal diagnosis from worry, you're not even in my professional league 
you're a little pussy, you're an amateur, you don't get it, you can change. I know professional worry. It almost killed me. That's how good at it I was. But once I realized what was holding my suffering together, what was holding my health problems together, I was able to give my attention to the exact opposite, which is I am divine love and wisdom. I cannot create a learning experience I do not need. This experience is working for me. It's bringing me the wisdom, the practice, the knowledge, the compassion, the relationships that I need to grow forward, to evolve the fastest, most efficient way humanly and divinely possible. It gave me a clear, strategical map for how to get from where I was at to where I wanted to be. And where I wanted to be was a good resident of heaven. That's where I wanted to be. So in order to go from the hellish levels of worrying that I was in to being a good resident of heaven, I had to let go of worry, I had to let go of that addiction, let go of that habit, because nobody in heaven worries. Nobody there worries. That, that, that just ain't happening. That's not how they roll there. So in order to be in heaven, you have to be of heaven. So I had to let go of all the habits that wouldn't let me live in a heavenly community. And everyone in heaven knows that they are divine love and wisdom. They know that they are treasured and adored by their creator. They know that they have more power than any problem they have ever faced. And so I gave my attention to the same thing that the angels in heaven give their attention to, because that's where I want to make my mailing address. So you discovered this truth through Emanuel Swedenborg, and you discovered your, you worry and it shut down your organs. Where did it bring you after that, or where did your journey go further? You know, our bodies are um, designed to be receivers, to allow receivership of divine influx, divine flow, divine love and wisdom. We're, we're designed to be receivers of divine love and wisdom. However, we decide with our free will how open or closed that gauge is. We decide with what we give our attention to, whether the gauge is full throttle in the amount of divine influx that comes into our mind, or whether we close it off and we allow just a little in, or we allow none at all. We decide that with what we give our attention to and what we do with our love. And so I, in dealing with the health issue, I found a rare form of internal organ massage from China called Xin Song. And it's from the same Taoist tradition that Qigong and Tai Chi come from. It just is a more secretive practice. So it came from a more remote, remote cloistered monastery, Taoist monasteries in China. So it wasn't so mainstream. So uh, it, it wasn't, there weren't a lot of people doing the Chine Song every morning in the middle of the street like they are in China doing Tai Chi and Qigong. It didn't happen in, in, a, in a mainstream way the way it did with Tai Chi and Qigong, but it's still from the, that same practice. So the internal organ massage that I learned allows you to open up your body so that it can be a receiver. So that if you combine your body being open and your mind being open, 
your mind understanding that I am divine love and wisdom and your body being a clear container it's not filled with unresolved emotions and experiences and and stuff that you have not food of life you have not digested when you get those open you can start receiving more is this making sense it is great so I started doing the internal organ massage combined with what I was giving my attention to and practicing this and that an inner and outer dynamic I guess the best way to say it would be that it allowed me to contain more truth more divine love and wisdom to maneuver and understand my way through life in the same way that I know that your eye issues the things that you've struggled with with your body's physical eye health has forced you to see in a different way. They they forced you to receive sight differently. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So doing the internal organ massage and what I was giving my attention to allowed me to receive on an emotional and psychological and physical on a cellular level, allowed me to receive more divine truth, divine love and wisdom than I had been allowed to receive earlier because of the way my mind was organized. So what I was, all the worry I was giving my attention to. So when that happened, you, you know that, that's my kitty, Miss Jackson. <laughs> you know that saying, um, when, the, when the student is ready, the teacher will emerge? Yeah. It was kind of like that. When I started clearing all this congested, unresolved life out of my mind and my body and my emotions, I found um, I was taking some different type of healing classes. And there was, I was taking, I was studying different modalities in addition to the internal organ massage. And one of the modalities was kinesiology, was learning kinesiology and learning to use kinesiology to get information more than just does a person have a vitamin C allergy. You know, use the kinesiology to get information about the person's past life, about how their mind is organized, about their spiritual work, about their life purpose, about things that were not necessarily physically based. They were more spiritually based. So um, when I realized that there was a way that I could get information about people and about myself, about what was going on with other people and about what was going on with myself. Then I was able to take that along with my studies in um, Chinese medicine because when you study the internal organ massage, you also have to study Chinese medicine. And I also studied Indian Ayurvedic medicine. So, and I also studied Tibetan Ayurvedic medicine with a Tibetan Buddhist monk. I studied Indian Ayurvedic medicine with Dr. Vasant Lad. All the Indian Ayurvedic textbooks are written by Dr. Lad. He's the one that gave me the name Rishali. I studied Tibetan Ayurvedic medicine with a Tibetan Buddhist monk, and I studied uh, Chinese medicine when I got uh, certified in the internal organ massage. And... I combine those with my studies in, because I also have a degree in philosophy and religion, and I combine those with my degree in philosophy and religion and my studies in Swedenborg, with Swedenborg, and you are what you love, and you love whatever you give your attention to, and it all kind of came together in understanding, um, 
it all kind of came together in having a a way to understand what is creating my problems or giving me a tool if people would like me to help them unravel what's causing suffering and problems in their life. I can get information about what their life purpose is, what they're doing with their mind that is either supporting them in their relationship with their life purpose or it's obstructing them, it's sabotaging them in their relationship. And I wrote four books because I don't do private sessions anymore. Um, I've retired from that. But I, I, I wrote four books explaining a lot of this. And um, I have a radio show I do every Friday um, that you're going to come on in May where I still um, post the show and have fascinating guests like you on so people can call up and they can still have a means of asking questions and getting answers to their questions. But um, it all kind of slowly came together after studying all these things and seeing how when I applied the truth that I learned from Swedenborg about what to do with my mind and how to respond to my problems, and then I added all the other wisdom that I got from Ayurveda and Chinese medicine about how to own and operate the human experience. It all kind of came together, giving me this ability to form a way to understand, to get information so I could work with people and, and understand how to help them and help myself. To understand what I was doing with my mind that was creating this problem or it allowed me a structure, a way to get information where I could talk to other people and say, this is what you're doing with your mind that's creating this problem because of this law. You are what you love and you love whatever you give your attention to. So every time you tell yourself, I'm broke, I'm broke, I'm broke, you send a message to your body that tells it to break down. So you may want to stop telling yourself that. Did that answer your question? It does indeed. And you wrote uh, four books, You Are What You Love and the Wisdom Rising one, two, and the companion book explained to us about a bit about how the process and how the idea came about to write these four books. Um, the first book was You Are What You Love. And um, I wrote that after I was in a car accident that I was not entirely confident I was going to recover from. And um, it was a head injury to the back of the head. And it damaged the cerebellum and the brainstem. And head injuries are very tricky because... You might remember things that you had forgotten or things that you couldn't quite remember how to put together in the past, and then you might get worse. So you can't tell with a head injury. And with head injuries, getting better, recovering, and getting worse have the identical symptoms. So you could be getting better, and you're not going to know it by how you feel because those are the same symptoms as when you're getting worse. So head injuries are very, very tricky to deal with because you don't know if you're going to get better and you don't know if you're going to get worse and you can't tell by how you're feeling if you're getting better or you're getting worse because those symptoms apply in both directions. So I wrote You Are What You Love in case I couldn't remember things or I started forgetting things or I couldn't put all of the information, all the studies I put together, the consult that I had made over the years studying all these different sciences and arts and healing, I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to lose how I connected this, these smaller pictures of the single studies with the bigger picture of studying them all. And so I started writing You Are What You Love in case I couldn't remember it or in case my memory didn't go in a more cohesive direction. 
I would have some way to get back and remember and relearn what I had spent my entire adult life trying to understand. And um, I was just started dating my boyfriend now. We just celebrated our 13th anniversary. But 13 years ago, um, when we started going out, he didn't have any kind of background in spiritual understanding at all. And so everything that we talked about was all new to him. And he said, well, if you wrote this book so that you could find your way back if you forgot, he said, then why don't you have me read it? Because I don't know any of this, so I'm a clean slate. So if I read it and I can understand it, it'll help you get back. And if I read it and I don't understand it, then if it isn't going to help me, it probably isn't going to help you. And that seemed reasonable. So um, I must have rewritten the book 10 times since we first agreed to do it that way. Because I would, I, I gave it to him and he said, this doesn't make any sense, rewrite it. So I rewrote it. And he said, it's a little better, but I'm still not getting it, do it again. And I, I must have been some, some parts maybe didn't take as many as 10 times sometimes. Some parts maybe only had to rewrite it five times. But by and large, I rewrote that book, I can't tell you how many times. And it wasn't a matter of counting. I rewrote it until... Until Elliot said, this makes sense, why didn't you say this in the first time in the first place? Then I would have gotten it. So um, after we got the book written, Elliot said, you know, this is really an important book and it's too important to just for you to write and leave on your bookshelf in case you need it someday. He said, we need to publish this. So that's when we started creating this thing called Purple Haze Press. And we published all four of, the, all four of my books and a few of other people's books. Did the Wisdom Rising and Wisdom Rising 2 come about the same way, or how did that form? You Are What You Love is a very overarching book that covers a lot of ground. And um, some of the chapters are, are 30 pages. And so, uh, because it's almost 400 pages. So some of the chapters are, are lengthy, and some chapters are more lengthy than others. When I wrote You Are What You Love, I didn't. I had no idea how long, how many pages it might be after it was edited and put in a book format. So I wasn't really writing it with a page goal in mind. I was just writing it until I exhausted everything that I thought had come to me. And then we put it together, and that's how many pages it turned out to be. And after that, people came to me, and they said that they would like a book that had shorter chapters so that they were easier to read and easier to digest, but they didn't want me to diminish the spectrum of wisdom that I exposed them to or the depth in which we explored something, but they wanted the chapters to be short and sweet and to stand alone. So that, because a lot of people had said to me, you know, I'm like a soccer mother, and so the only time I read is when, you know, I take my kids to some sporting events and then I take my my book out or when I'm waiting in a, in a doctor's office for an appointment or some people said I'm, I just read when I travel so I might have two weeks between business trips so write something where it's short and sweet and if I put the book away and I don't pick it up for two or three months or a year or weeks or whatever it won't make any difference because if I'm in a new chapter it's a new idea and it doesn't, it doesn't matter if I remember what came before or not so that was a different kind of writing challenge 
So Wisdom Rising 1 and 2 are divided up into mind-body-spirit segments. And the chapters are anywhere between three pages, and I think the longest one is eight, six to eight. And it's designed to cover mind-body-spirit, so it's designed to cover a spectrum of information. I, I didn't want to dumb it down as to how far I took you from, you know, one to zero, you know, from, from zero to a thousand or a million or infinity. I didn't want to dumb that down. So I divide each of the chapters up into mind, body, spirit, and then each of the chapters takes an idea and deals with it in an in-depth way in that chapter, and then the next chapter we move on to another idea. But when you get done with the book, you have a lot of these ideas that you understand really well that you can string together so that you have an in-depth understanding of something that covers a huge range. But I did it differently than I did it in You Are What You Love and the companion playbook that goes with You Are What You Love. Vaishali, can you explain to us a bit about what Ayurveda means and Chinese Taoism, just so the listeners can get a a bite-sized synopsis of what... each therapy you mentioned previously in the interview? Brilliant question, Erin. I'm so glad you asked me that. Yes. Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word, and Sanskrit is an ancient Indian language that is, it's a dead language. It's considered a dead language. It it has not been spoken in a living, civilized context in probably more than 5,000 years. But Sanskrit is still a language that, that scholars are familiar with. You're familiar with it. And the Vedas, which is the Eastern Indian um, scriptures, sacred scriptures, the Vedas. And all the Vedas are written in Sanskrit, which is considered to be a sacred language. And Ayurveda is a Sanskrit word that means the science for daily life. And what the Vedas put forth is that there is an execution, there is a science to the execution of your everyday life that brings about optimal results. And that the best way to organize the science of everyday life is through routine. Because there's a a lot of things, the bulk of the things, not everything, but the bulk of things that need to be done every day in order for you to get an optimal human experience, the optimal results, optimal energy, clarity, health, relationship well-being, And so they organize routines. These are things you do in the morning, the afternoon, the evening. This is how much of your time is spent on personal hygiene. This is how much spent cooking and cleaning. This is how much spent with a relationship. This is how much spent on your career. So they break things down into routines that you do where things are divided into a way that there's an execution of your life that will get you the optimal result. So that's what Ayurveda means. And um, Taoism, the Tao or Taoism, simply means the way. In the same way that in Buddhism, we have different schools of Buddhism, but the main thrust of Buddhist teaching is this, that Shakyamuni, the historical Buddha, was born into a very refined, uh, wealthy family. His father was the king, so he had the best of everything. He was given uh, the best clothing, the best food, the best education. He was not exposed to uh, old age or to illness. These were things that he discovered later when he became uh, in his 20s. He went over the wall of the palace and went out into the world and discovered that people get old and they get sick and they die and they're suffering and 
he was not exposed to any of that. And so he went off and became an ascetic, uh, one who practices religious and spiritual practices. And first thing that he did was the extremes. He went to extreme, extreme fasting, extreme exposing yourself to the weather and not having any clothes and not having a home and not having any anything. And that almost killed him. And he was nurtured back. And the main thrust of one of the, regardless of what school that you go to with Buddhism, they will all agree that one of the main thrusts of Buddhist teaching is that there's something called the middle way, the way. And that is a way in life that brings you into balance, that isn't extreme provoking, that brings you the best results. So you can see that all these systems are talking about the same thing. They just have a, a different way of sharing the story and getting results which is there is a way in life that involves giving your attention, your body, your lifestyle, your consciousness that brings about optimal results in the human and divine experience. If you could picture back and everything that has happened to you up to now, would you change it or would you adjust it or are you happy where you're at at this moment? Everything has been exactly what I need, when I need it, to bring me to where I'm at right now. And being a good resident of heaven has been important to me to focus on that. So I am very happy with where I'm at right now because I I feel that I know how to be a good resident of heaven and how to practice that. So I am very grateful for everything that brought me to where I'm at because it's brought me to understanding how to be a good resident of heaven. And I'm grateful for the training because without the training, I wouldn't know how to be a good resident of heaven. I know how to be a good resident of hell. All of us seem to know how to do that very easily. But extricating yourself from that, that's not something everybody feels as confident in doing as they feel confident in their ability to make themselves miserable or to worry or to be scared. So I'm grateful for everything that happened. I couldn't be a good resident of heaven. I couldn't be the good resident of heaven that I am without those learning experiences and without all those people and everything that happened. So I would not want to change it. It's been not only a fair and equitable exchange, but to tell you the truth, I think I got a bargain basement deal. If I was able to exchange everything I went for, went through for being a good resident of heaven, it was the best deal under the sun. When you're describing Manny Swedenborg, you describe you are your love and love. We experience physical love and intimate love, but do we experience spiritual love as well? Love is what you give your attention to. So you can love things that live in a limited place or an unlimited place, and it's still love. People that murder people love being violent. It's still love. It's not the same love I give my attention to and I value and I organize my life around, but it's still love because they're giving their attention to it. So I am grateful that all the worry that I loved and worshiped earlier, that I was able to turn that around to a monument to divine love and wisdom, that I was able to see that that was worry was not gonna solve my problem, that I was gonna have to choose to require more of myself had to focus on what it meant to be divine love and wisdom 
if I was going to solve my problems and have the quality of life that I that I wanted to have as a good resident of heaven. So everything and everyone that touched my life before has brought me to that place. So I'm grateful. But I, I choose to be grateful and upgrade my love at any moment of my life. Because the bottom line is at any moment of your life, you have an opportunity to expand or contract, to upgrade your love or to downgrade your love. And because it, 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 we wouldn't have free will if you weren't free to upgrade and downgrade your love. So at any given moment, we could go in any direction. But I'm grateful that the things that have happened and the painful things that have touched my life have brought me to a practice of expanding what I know and what I love in an unlimited direction. It works for me. You say a resident of heaven. Can you just tell us a brief or description of what that means in a, uh, in words? Good residents of heaven love what is good and true. They love giving their attention to defining themselves as a good and quality recipient of divine love and wisdom. They live their life by doing what is good and true that they value trusting that no matter how painful their life may be or how painful the lessons that they're going through are, that they are working for their higher and greater good. That they understand that they came here to let every conditional thing touch their mind so they could respond and say, I am divine love and wisdom. Because that's how we get to be good residents of heaven is that every conditional thing that hits us, every monetary thing, every financial thing, every business thing, every relationship thing, no matter what touches us, we choose to expand as a force of love. And if all those negative things didn't touch me, I would have no opportunity to practice expanding into being a force of love. So... Um, Everything is an opportunity to expand or contract in any given moment, depending on what it is that you love. And every moment is an opportunity to reveal to you whether you love something that lives in an unlimited world or a limited world in an arena that you can't fake. So that you know whether you're honestly practicing being a good resident of heaven or whether you're not. And you'll know that by how you feel and the results that they bring. it brings you. The result of what you're giving your attention brings you. It's an arena you cannot take it in. You will know whether you're really a good resident of heaven or whether your ego is just trying to trick you and fool you. If you could describe a diamond of experiences or knowledge, what would it be to the listener? You know, the diamonds are, are absolutely the geological function of pressure, stress, and heat. And that's, that's how a lump of coal becomes a diamond. And that's how our life gets evolved is through the, when the pressure and the stress and the heat hits you, what do you do with your attention? This isn't a matter of why do bad things happen to good people. It's all a matter of what do good people do when bad things happen to them. And the best way I can describe the sweetheart is the silversmith metaphor, the way gold is made and the way gold is made is that the silversmith takes the raw gold and they put it in a vessel in a container and they put it on heat and they melt it 
and they keep it under that fire, under that heat, and they boil it, and they boil it, and they boil it. And if the silversmith is boiling the raw material, the impurities are getting transformed out of the raw material through the heat, through the fire. And as it boils and boils and boils, and the impurities rise up, the silversmith will take a device and scrape off the impurities as the heat and the pressure boils all the impurities out of the raw material. The goldsmith will keep scraping it off and scraping it off and scraping it off. And the goldsmith knows that the raw material is perfect to use. The gold is now pure gold. It is now ready to use. When the silversmith leans over and can see their own reflection in the vessel. And that's what all of this is about. It's for no matter what touches our life and our nervous system, it's for us to respond to it, to it with, I am divine love and wisdom. I have more power than this challenge. This is working for my personal growth, or God would not allow it to touch my life because I am treasured and adored by my creator. My creator has set up a classroom where only what serves my highest and greatest good is allowed to touch me because it is, if it does not serve my growth, God will not allow it to show up in my life. And if God is allowing it to show up in my life, it's showing up because it's coming to bring me something, some knowledge, some growth, some opportunity to be a good resident of heaven. And that's the only way I'm responding to my life is that it is a good resident in training operation. And anything that touches my life, I'm responding to it with, this is working for me, I can grow beyond whatever I need to because I recognize that only what is in my highest and greatest good is allowed to touch me. And that's how we're designed to respond to things. Because when you respond to the challenges with that, it sets you free. And if you don't give what is causing you contraction, if you don't give it the truth, the contraction will not set you free. And the purpose of experiencing the contraction the challenge, the lesson, is to force you to give your attention to the truth until it sets you free. And you'll know if you've given the truth your attention, because you'll know it, because it'll set you free. And if what you're giving your attention to is not set you free, it's nature's way of saying you haven't seen the truth of it. Keep looking, keep looking, keep looking. Marvelous uh, description. Is there a place where we can find you and your radio show and your books? I still have the website. It's purple, like the color P U R P L E, purple V, purplev.com. So I still have the website. You can buy the books on the website. You can buy the books on Amazon.com, on Amazon UK. You can listen to the radio show on my website, on Contact Talk Radio website. And um, uh, you can email me from my website, purplev.com. That is excellent, V. Thank you very much for taking the time and the, the, to share your knowledge and experiences and, and your journey. Thank you for the opportunity to share with more people, my love. Thank you. Thank you for spending the time to listen to the show. If you want to learn more, check out sansit.com. That's S-A-N-C-I-T dot com. Join Sansit Group on Facebook and contact us if you have any questions. Until next time, have an awesome day and rock on. Thank you for listening to this show. If you find this show very interesting or want to listen to more, please subscribe to iTunes 
Holistic Therapies by Sansiege or go to sansiege.com to subscribe there.